Rolling. Renegades. Andre and I had this big idea. Why isn't this a CE? CE by podcast. Mind blowing. People don't even know people like her exist. Renegades. I had to have the people who didn't believe in me. Between one day and the next, everything changed. Somebody found you. Thank God they found you. Shining a light on those people. And by the way, you're going to be inspired. You can't contain this, Sybil. You can't contain it. Nurses know how to solve shit. Nailed it. Renegades. Welcome to the Renegade Podcast, a revolutionary approach to continuing education for nurses by nurses who are shining a light on the innovators, the creatives, the renegades who are blowing up the boxes that the rest of the world is still trying to think outside of. On today's podcast, we have Alan Plunkett. Antra and I were both on Alan's podcast and we didn't think it was fair that he knew so much about us and we didn't know anything. Well, we knew something about him, but we knew immediately that he would have a lot to teach nurses, especially nurses who were on the edge of innovating or creating their own path or wanting to do it a different way. We titled this podcast or will title this podcast something like how to not be afraid of failure. Alan Plunkett, you know, in the in the official form, he is the president and CEO of his own company. He started his career in retail, working for grocery stores and then PetSmart until getting into the staffing world in 1998. After working for one recruiting firm until 2002, he struck out with a friend to launch Phoenix Staff. Alan and his wife love the fact that they have a stellar team of people working toward a common goal, employing good people and good jobs. Outside of work, they're fortunate to be surrounded by a great extended family in Florida and California. A graduate of Florida Atlantic University, Alan is dedicated to his team and to helping identify ways to help people grow their careers and find a place where they can love what they do and where they do it. And you will certainly learn that from Alan. And oh yeah, by the way, if you're a nurse and listening to this podcast, when it's finished, you can get a CE credit by going over to renegade.pro, that's R-N-E-G-A-D-E dot pro, sign up and get a CE. Enjoy Alan Plunkett. Alan Plunkett, welcome to the Renegade podcast. Great to be here. What are the little things that you're kind of ashamed about that you tell white lies? So for me, I will tell white lies about what time I wake up during the week. Because sometimes, yeah, because sometimes I'll sleep till like nine. See, that was a white lie. Sometimes I'll sleep till (laughs) Sometimes I will sleep till 10. And during the week, because I've stayed up until two or three, but it's still kind of shamey. It's still kind of cringy. Do you have anything like that that you do? I I absolutely do. Yeah, I think. Well, I think every good human does. There's certainly a lot of people that don't feel cringy about their little white lies. And then they turn into, you know, bigger lies. But yeah, like for me, (laughs) I have a buddy that will call me out. But he said, how many marathons have you run? And I'm like, I think. I think I've run five. And he's like, no, fuck that. He's like, you know how many marathons you've run. Like, you don't think you've run five. Like, when you run (laughs) 26.2 miles, you know how many of those you've done. How many times you've done that. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I've done four. That's (laughs) hilarious. For me, it's telling somebody I'm going to do something with them and then trying the frick to get out of it. And then I'll do a little white lie. And that's not, you know, like, I just think embellishing is kind of okay. (laughs) so alan what's something that you maybe used to embellish or tell white lies about and now that you've kind of gotten older and wiser you really just don't give a shit and you'll just like say it yeah i mean since we're going to talk about business i would say probably from a business perspective you know like if i was if i was telling people how large the company was you know 12 15 years ago i would definitely say it was bigger than it was and now i don't care now it's like, we're not huge. You know, we have three offices. We're doing great. But I, I don't tell them we're a $20 million company. And I used to do that. Mm-hmm. But I would, it, it, it kind of for me at that point, it was 
I wanted to create that future. So I didn't really look, I, I didn't feel slimy about it because I was, I was basically predicting where we were going to go in my mind. And it didn't really, they weren't an investor. They weren't like, there was no money riding on it. There was nothing that they had that, you know, would have hurt them in any way by me saying it the way I said it. Um, but yeah, I used to do that a lot. And then, like you said, maturity kicked in. I don't know what wisdom did, but maturity kicked in. And I'm like, I, I don't need to do that. <laughs> like, why am I doing that? Why don't you tell a little bit about what you do and then sure. answer Antra's why do you do that? Sure. So I own a IT recruiting firm uh, called Phoenix Staff. And we are, we are in three markets. So we're in Austin, Texas. We're in Phoenix, Arizona. We're in Las Vegas. I started it in 2002. And really it was, it was because I always knew I wanted to be a business owner. I mean, since I was 15, 16 years old, I knew I wanted to have my own business. Maybe I was cocky. I, I don't really know what it was. Maybe I still am. But I always felt like I could build a better mousetrap. And every business out there I looked at, again, even when I was 15, 16 years old, I'm like, they're doing this all wrong. <laughs> and, hmm. it, and it was a, a very, very probably, you know, bad way to be, but it was the way I was wired. And I went to work at a retail organization. You know, I was in the grocery store business and I worked in the grocery store business and it was Winn-Dixie actually, which is, you know, I don't know how they're doing today. I know they've, they've been through a lot of ups and downs, but even when I was 15 and a half years old, making $3 and 35 cents an hour there, I'm like, I could run a grocery store so much better than these people. (laughs) That's awesome. So when I was 18, I had a bunch of friends who were looking for jobs and I'm like, I can help you find job, you know, cause I can write your resume. I can help you interview. I can prepare you for that. And that was, for whatever reason, just kind of what I fell into at that point in my life when I was 18. And I started a company called Perimeter Career Planning because who wiser, you know, who better to help you find a job than an 18-year-old punk who's never had a job? Absolutely. It just makes sense. That is awesome, Alan. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) You know, and I, I, again, I'd worked in the grocery store business, so it wasn't that I didn't have a job, but I certainly didn't have any credibility (laughs) to stand on, to help, you know, a 35 year old mid career, try to figure out where they should go with their life. Um, Is that the kind of client you got though? No. So I didn't have any clients. That would have been, <laughs> I, I had friends. <laughs> okay. I had friends okay. who needed me to help their help write their resume. Got it. And wait, it was, and what was the company called again? Premier? It was called perimeter career planning. Perimeter. Hmm. Yeah. And so and, your buddies uh, were just like, yeah, you can help me. Yeah, write my resume, dude. I don't have any money for you, but I'll buy a you know a six pack or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so then you know, fast forward to 1999. I went back into retail. I worked for PetSmart for a number of years, and then I was sitting down in my office. I was a store director. I had 56 employees at a PetSmart here in Phoenix, and I was just like, I can't do this forever. I don't want to. I loved the job. Like I love retail. And every time I talk to somebody in retail, I'm like, I love that. I love that world because there's a beginning, a middle and an end to everything that you do. And at that point in my life, 1999, I'm like, you know, I'm 29 years old. I got to figure out what I really want to do. And I had a buddy in Florida who was in this industry in the, in the IT recruiting industry. And I called him up and I said, Craig, what do you, what is it that you do again? And he said, well, I, you know, it's kind of like what you did with perimeter career planning. You know, I help people find jobs and people pay me. And, and I'm like, who pays you? The people looking for the jobs. And he goes, no, the company's hiring the people. Like, why would they do that? Like, why would people pay you to find them people? I don't get it. So anyway, I interviewed with Robert Half. Robert Half hired me. They're a huge multinational, you know, multi-billion dollar company. And, I went, and what do they do? So they do, they have like uh, separate divisions that do staffing. So they have office team, which does administrative clerical. They have account temps, which does accounting and finance. They have a legal division. They have an IT division. So they just, they provide staffing resources for companies on a, on a global basis. And uh, so I went and I interviewed with them. The whole interview process was like three months. And finally they hired me and they said, look, if you're not productive in 90 days, we will fire you. So do you want to join? And I'm That's like, a horrible story. Absolutely. I want to join. 
sign me up. Welcome. What a welcome, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. You will work or you will be fired. <laughs> Uh, so fortunately I was successful within the 90 day window. I kept my job, but as I am programmed, I decided I pretty so quickly better. that I could do this so much better than these people. Could. <laughs> how, and, so how that was a good you? beginning, middle and end to an introduction of you. Like, right on. It was like, wow, you put a period on the end to that sentence and you even like ended with the, I could do that better. So now I yeah, believe we're entering awesome. the second phase of the podcast. I mean, it was just like. <laughs> we're flying through this. <laughs> no, no, because the second and third could go on forever. So, you know, brace yourself. So then you, what you, did you start, a, did you start your business before you left that company? Did you start your IT recruitment? Because you started I, in 2002, you said. and that Yeah, was I started in 2002. And so my wife and I were relocated to Las Vegas. And we hated Las Vegas. I mean, we just couldn't, she had no friends and family there. We had our son there. We had a great house, but as a family unit, it was like, just not where we wanted to be. And she said, look, I got to get out of here. We got to go somewhere else. We got to go back to Phoenix because I have friends. I have, you know, contacts. So I said, well, I don't want to go back there and, and continue to work for Robert Half. So I started, I didn't start my business, but what I did do is I waited until my one year non-compete was up in that market. So they had me in Vegas for over a year. So I no longer had a non-compete in Phoenix. So I started calling my old clients there and I said, look, if I did this, would you do work with me? And I had probably five or six clients that said, absolutely. You know, I would absolutely, you know, give you business if, if you came back and started your own business. So I came back, I actually had a little bit of a parachute because I went to work for a competitor who didn't have me sign in on compete. And I told them I only wanted to work on certain accounts. Like I didn't want to work on any accounts that they already had. I wanted to do new business development. I didn't want there to be any impropriety, any like indication whatsoever that I was trying to steal their business, mm -hmm. um, knowing fully well that I was going to bounce out and start Phoenix staff. And then within about six or eight weeks, that's exactly what I did. I, I came home on De December 18th of 2002, uh, about one o'clock in the afternoon. I am not known for leaving work early. And my wife was, you know, holding my son on her hip and she looks over at me and she goes, what are you doing home? I'm like, well, congrats, congratulations. We started our own company today. We are officially in business. So it doesn't seem like any of that was ever hard for you. And the fact that you were from a young age, like I could do that better. So when you started Phoenix staff, was that, was it challenging in any way? Cause to me, you, it, it seems like it all came very easy to you. I have very little fear when it comes to relying on myself. And I think that's where entrepreneurs get stuck. Like I didn't take outside investment. I don't lean on a lot of people for advice. I have to be the person on the hook. And I think, you know, for me as an entrepreneur, that that's how it has to be. Like, I, I can't imagine having an investor in my company calling me and checking up and saying, how are we doing? How are we looking? How are the financials? Can you send me this report? Can you send it? That would drive me insane. But I know it works for a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs are fine with that. They have business partners. They have, you know, investors. They have advisory boards, all of those sorts of things. I, I can't do that. I need to be self-reliant. I need to be on the hook for everything. And it, it kills me. You know, it, it definitely is probably not the best way to be for long-term, scalable, healthy success of a company, but it works for me. And I think that's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur. You can, you decide what works for you. And uh, you have scaled and you have grown. So I guess- Probably not, not to the degree that I could. I, I think that's- But do you care? No, not at all. I used to. You did? Yeah, but not anymore. That's amazing. I love the. I mean, I love that. And I think it's really compelling for people who want to start their own businesses to hear that because I'm like you in that way. Like, it never occurred to me to be afraid ever. It hasn't. And so, and I think that's what makes it easier in some ways. Yeah, there's, there's like a short-term memory loss. You know, my last failure 
is yeah exactly it could have been yesterday but i don't really remember it that well so yeah why worry right you just go to the next thing Eh, that didn't work okay next yeah that's totally true yeah and and failure is kind of the fertilizer that makes the garden grow yeah i mean you learn so much i mean antra and i talk about this like um i think honesty and authenticity has come from my failures if the white lie kind of thing that lack of the lack of saying to a partner or someone um i don't like that if you don't do that up front that little thing yeah i'm not i'm not crazy about that brand idea i'm not crazy about that idea it festers like a splinter under your finger that you never get out and it gets you know do like to me that was the biggest failure my lack of honesty up front and now yeah. I can't be anything but that. Well, having uncomfortable conversations, like there, there you go, you know, yeah. putting yourself in that situation where you know it's going to suck to have that conversation, but you have it anyway. Yeah, that's those oh, yeah. are so important. I think, especially so the ones you need to have with yourself. Like, I don't think I want to do that. Like, yeah. like growing your company, right? I used to want to be bigger. Be bigger. Was there a moment where you had to have that conversation with yourself and go? Actually, I don't. I don't remember it. I'm sure I did. It was probably during the, you know, the economic downturn of 2008. You know, I I was, I was expanding in different ways. Like I was starting like Robert Half has, I was starting office administrative. I was starting accounting. I was starting sales, all these different divisions. And I'm like, man, this is one way to grow, but I don't like this way to grow. (laughs) Hmm. So that was part of it, I think, was when I realized that that seemed to just change my brand. Like the the way I do it now, I can really build relationships with people. And when you're working in office administrative, you're doing so many transactions that you can't, you don't have time to build relationships with people because it's just, you're constantly turning. You're constantly like rolling through people and it just watered down the brand. So I think at that point in time, I'm like, look, we're going to be a $25 million company or we're not. And that's okay. Like I, I didn't, I didn't start this even knowing the term lifestyle business. Like I I had never heard that term before. And people are telling me that what I've created is a lifestyle business and it doesn't sound sexy. Like I don't love it, but if that's what I've created, then that's what I've created. I'll just start a different business. If I want to do something that, you know, is not a legacy to my kid. Like if my kid doesn't ever want to take this business over, which I really doubt he ever will, then we'll leave it to the employees or, or something, you know, someone else will come in and take it or somebody will buy it or whatever, but I'm not as worried about that exit. And I think in the beginning, I thought more about the exit than I thought about the journey. And, and that to me was important to recognize too. So I think maybe to answer your question in a very roundabout way, I would say once I realized that I didn't care as much about the exit as, as I did about the journey, that's when I started to enjoy the journey. Let's go back to your podcast, Rewired Mind, because it's kind of, is it affiliated with, with your company, Phoenix? Like, is there, is there a thing in cahoots? There's, <laughs> uh, there should be, but there isn't. And, and I think I will reframe it at some point in time. So I want to do one that's called rewired company and, and I'm on the path to do that. So I want to talk to business owners. I want to talk to business leaders, professionals, you know, in industry about how they've taken their company from where they're going to, you know, where they were headed to where they are now headed. Like how did they transformationally change their organization or their leadership or their approach or style or whatever, but really rewired mind. I mean, we've all talked about this on the podcast that you guys yeah. did for me. I'm just really curious. You yeah. know, I know your superpower is curiosity, Karen. I mean, I remember that distinctly and to get Antra to think that way, you know, when she was like, just give me the answers to the test rather than force me to go home and come up with them on my own. I mean, I just, I love the dynamic that you guys had at that moment. And that to me is that's where I'm at. Like, I just, I want to ask people questions that make them think or throw them on their heels or make them think about what it is that gets them charged up and excited or the opposite, you know, what it is that they can remove that maybe drags them down. And Rewired Mind gives me the platform to do that. 
Yeah. So, so rewired mind was initially you got the idea to do that because like, how did that kind of fit in with growing your company? And, Oh, I wanted, I, I know you said you're curious, but to me, when I was on your podcast, it was, you know, you were interviewing me to see, you know, how, how I rewired my mind and how yeah. things looked one day and how they look different the next. So yeah. Was, so it really, so tying it back to Phoenix staff, every time I talk to a person about their career path or their journey, I ask them, what is it about what you do today that you want to take with you to the next job? And it's, it's a question that they don't often get from recruiters, but they're like, hmm, maybe none of it. Maybe I want to completely change industry. I want to do something completely different. I'm just interested in that. Like I, I love talking to people who say, I love 98% of what I do, but that 2%, I, I got to make it go away. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. How do I help you get there? Like, how can I help you find that opportunity that makes that other 2% disappear? Or how do we at least get on the path to where that happens? Alan, do you think that's possible? Like, there's this kind of philosophy out there that no matter what you do, there's going to be a shit sandwich that you have to eat. You know, maybe that's the 2%. Do you think it's true that there's, there doesn't have to be a poop sandwich? <laughs> I, I do. I absolutely do. I, I, think, I think there's a way to flavor it differently. So maybe, maybe the shit sandwich is still there, but we're, we're going to add different flavoring to it. Like maybe it's the environment that you're in that makes it taste so horrible. Maybe it feels like that 2% overwhelms the 98%. Like I hate cilantro. You put cilantro in anything. I don't care how much it is. <laughs> It's going to ruin the entire meal for me. And I'm going to push it to the middle of the table and say, I got to have something different, but it could only be 2% of the meal. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's that kind of thing where all we need to do is find a different environment for that person. And the 2% just doesn't, it's more palatable. Yeah. It's oregano for me. Um, but <laughs> Even though you take oregano capsules like they're like <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, well, you've seen me burp that stuff up. Like, <laughs> I, I have pe my my grandmother used to over oregano everything, so I have a little bit of trauma from oregano. I have oregano trauma. All right, I'm gonna be like straight up honest because like I'm trying to I'm I'm running out of room in my brain for boxes I want to check because things I want to ask you. I want to know what rewired your mind. What made everything different from yes. when to next for you? Me too. Okay. So maybe we should write these down. I also know that <laughs> I know. nurses. Am I writing them down? Who's writing them no. down? No, I'll write them down. Actually. Okay. I also want to know. Sorry. I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm asking for your help really is because I think for, for this recording, these are important things for nurses or anybody who might be thinking of starting their own, you know, an entrepreneurial venture. I mean, who better to hear it from than somebody like you who just was like, no fear. Uh, I could do that better. And you, you went and did it, you know, maybe you failed, maybe whatever, but there was not. Okay. So number one, what rewired your mind? Number two, for somebody um, who's thinking of, I could do that better or like a nurse, like a patient advocate, like what we do, like looking at, Outcomes for patients who have a nurse or somebody, a medical professional in the family are so much better. There's got to be a job like that. I should be able to do that. Like that's, I didn't know patient advocacy was a thing. I just like, there's got to be a role for that, that people yeah. would pay me to be the nurse in the family if they didn't have one. So nurses and nurses all the time have these ideas, like and maybe not patient advocacy, but all the time, like, oh, I could do that better. And I could do in that better, of, you know, lymphedema treatment, or I could do that better in cardiac care or, you know, but they, they are too afraid to leave the comfort of their, you know. Sure. So it, do you think that people have to have that fearless factor? You said some people aren't. So, so this is, you know, I'll, I'll remember that down. one. I, I'm writing that writing. down. Okay, Alan, because I'm going to tie these all together. Don't worry. I will be your guide. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's frightening. The fire hose is, yeah. is started. <laughs> so, so start with why rewired. I mean, usually something's interesting to somebody because they had that for themselves. That's what sure. I found. Yeah. Yeah. I think if, so for me in my life, I think the thing that set me on this path is I had a lot of doubters in my life. I had a lot of people who just doubted that I would ever this, that, or the other. And I needed that. 
like that motivated me. And I think it motivates a lot of people, but it, it also can squash a lot of people. Mm. And I hate that. You know, I, I would love to see everyone start their own business. And I tell people all the time, look, I can go to lunch with you and talk about the fact that you want to start your own business, but I am the wrong guy to have there if you want to be talked out of it. Like you and I are going to put a business plan together. We're going to go open up a bank account. We're going to go down to the Arizona State Board of Registrars and register your damn business. We're going to start a website. We're doing all this today. Um, So you better be ready to start this business because I'm the wrong guy if you're not going to start it. (laughs) To me, it's like I I needed somebody to say you can't. Like you're never going to succeed. And and that's all it took. And, And I had that. Fortunately, I had that in my life. But unfortunately, a lot of people that just that just crushes them and 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 throws them completely out of whack. Now, I have I mean, I was thrilled that you guys invited me on this because I every time I end up being around nurses, whether it's family, friends, myself, anyone in the hospital and we've got nurses. I mean, I'm writing thank you cards. I'm buying pizza. I'm buying donuts. I'm feeding the whole staff. I'm like, man, this is like, you guys have the most incredible job and gift, you know, to, to do what you do for a living. And I don't, I just can't get my mind wrapped around the fact that not all of them are independent contractors. Not all of them are working for themselves. A lot of them are being paid by the hospital or being paid by the the center yeah. It, but when I meet the one that's an independent, when I meet the one and they say, you're going to get a separate invoice from me personally, I'm like, right on, dude. You know, how long have you had your own business? I love that. And, you know, I recently had that experience where I had, you know, a, a few nurses and a couple of them were independent contractors and a couple of them were full-time staff. I'm like, man, they're, they're all just so talented and so skilled. Why is it that some jump and some don't? And I, I well, think it's that fear. There's a story that my um, mentor, Michael Neal, tells a lot. Uh, and, and I'm going to get the story. I'm going to botch it a little bit. But he does it because I can't remember the guy who was at the the keynote speaker at this women's empowerment conference. So this guy was giving the keynote address. And he gets up on stage. And there's a big whiteboard up there. And he just writes, no one is coming. And turns around. And that was his address. And someone in the audience, any questions, he said, and someone <laughs> raises their hand and says, well, you came. And he said, yeah, well, I just came to tell you no one is coming. <laughs> <laughs> because every, we're all raised like the hospital will save you. They'll pay your salary. There, you know, we're, 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 we spend 12 years, K through 12 in school, being told what we want doesn't matter you'll have time to go play in the sandbox after your senior year, you know, sit down in that desk and learn the stuff you're not interested in and be still and do your homework and you know, all that stuff. And then when you're done with call or high school and people, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I've lost the ability to think for myself because I've had all this stuff hammered in that what I want and what inspires me doesn't matter for 12 years. So then you have to deprogram that. And I think, and you're you're taught to go to school, get a job, you know, get your education, get your degree, get a job. And you have that self-reliance kind of taught out of you. And there's very few people. I think so many more people would be entrepreneurs and start their own businesses if we didn't have that kind of training or programming as we yeah. grow up. And the people who no one is coming like you, Alan, you know, like, that's all right. I got this. Yeah. It's it, it's the difference between the person who works for someone and the person who works for themselves when the idea that no one is coming to save you, it scares the shit out of somebody and it inspires somebody else, especially if it's peppered with, you'll never make it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh and gosh, it, it gets so back good. to, you know, when you start your own business, are you still working your other job? That to me is a clear indicator of the, if that person has that, that, real fear of, can I depend on myself to make this happen? You know, for me, I had to burn the boats. I had to burn the boats. You know, it just had to happen. I'm like, there is no fallback. This is happening. We're doing this. Let's go. And, but it doesn't work for everybody. And it's, 
I totally agree with you, Karen. And I, the creativity just gets beaten out of us. The, the, the thought of, you know, being able to do it, not by the program, not by the playbook of society just gets beaten out of us. And it's, and I think, I think with nurses in, in particular, like, I mean, well, that's just because that's where I am, but I've seen so many that are, you know, so afraid to jump, so afraid to just, you know, quit what they've been doing for 20 years. But so what would you tell them if they had a really great idea and they were really excited about it, but they were really afraid? Like, what would you say to them? Because you just said you wouldn't talk them out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to start. I mean, you got to, I would say, to the degree that you are able to overcome your fear, you know, first of all, surround yourself with the people that you know are going to support the idea. So if you're going to ask for advice, like you know, when I was a kid, my, my dad would tell me work for, you know, go work for IBM, go work for Exxon, go work for a stable long-term company where you can retire in 50 years, get the Rolex and like live just a comfortable life. My mom, if I told her I was going to sell belly button lint on the street corner, she'd be like, Oh my God, that's a, I don't think anybody's doing that. That's a, that's a great idea. <laughs> that's I mean, awesome. she, she would have thought it was like the greatest thing ever. Um, so I had these two, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum, but whenever I wanted to have, you know, the support and the, you know, the, the affirmation of any idea, I'd go to my mom. So you've got to find those people and, and you got to shut down the rest of the people. So I'm a huge fan of inventorying your friends, inventorying. What is it that you're the, you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Um, you gotta, you gotta make sure those five people are people that you admire and say, I want to, I want to be the average of those five people. If you hang out with five people that suck and they suck the life out of you, that's not, you, you can't do that. So all that to say, if you're thinking about starting your own business, try to find other people who have done it and start like conversing with them, you know, start talking to them about what path they took. What are some things that they did? What are some things that they would have done differently if they had to do it all over again, but don't hang out with the ones that you know are probably going to say, Oh, that's not, yeah. I don't think that's a great idea. Um, Those people are the worst. They are. They're absolutely the worst. And they, they, they don't have horrible intentions, I'm sure, no. but they just, they just don't know. Well, you, to, it, it long ago became very apparent that I shouldn't take the advice of somebody whose life I don't want. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. you, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to weed out, you know, if, if you're working in a hospital, for instance, and you hate it. And I think that was one of the biggest obstacles to me starting my own business is because I felt so bad leaving. Mm-hmm. What would you say to nurses who are working in the hospital, who no one is coming, scares the shizzle out of them, but they have this great idea? I think you have to, you have to move on it. You have to, you have to jump and it's going to be cold. It's going to be, it's going to be scary, but you have to jump. You know, that I'm a, I'm a fan of burn the boats. Okay. That's, Mm -hmm. that's how my mind works. But when you're a nurse, the boats are always going to be there. They're always close. Like you're going to be employed if you're a nurse. Um, so yeah, that's I, all the more reason to burn them because you can all, always find them. Right? Exactly. That's yeah, what I mean, we but, told ourselves. Right? Yeah, I that mean, was it's exactly always it. going to be there. You, yeah. you can't, you, re, you literally can't burn them because they're still going to be sitting offshore. There's going to be more coming. Totally. That's what I told Sierra, my business partner, because she was voted least likely to ever take a risk, um, you know, in <laughs> high school. And she's, you know, this sort of more quiet, not so outspoken. And she was, and I, and she was curious about advocacy. I was like, you just got to jump. What's the worst that can happen? We're going to fail and we're going to go right back to the operating room. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, big deal. <laughs> Do you think burning, a willingness to burn the boats is a predictor of success? I, I think so. I what definitely think? think so. Yeah. I I think if you have a self-limiting belief, you have to get rid of that. So there's something, there's something standing in the way of you saying, I can't, 
or I won't. So you, you, you probably have to analyze that a little bit. You have to do some reflection and say, okay, why is it that I think I can't? Maybe it's if your finances aren't in order or, you know, relationships aren't, whatever it might be, you got to get to the heart of that and probably have what we were talking about earlier, have the uncomfortable conversations of, okay, if things hit the fan, what am I going to do about that aspect of my life? Because there's probably something else standing in your way. It's probably not the fact that you might or might not think you're going to be successful. It's probably something else along that path that's making you think, I shouldn't do it because of this or because of that. In my opinion, if you have a great idea, if you really think that this idea is awesome as a nurse, I mean, somebody who's been as educated as you all have been, somebody who's been through fire like you all have been, and you're like, this idea is going to be successful, chances are pretty good it's going to be successful. <laughs> I mean, because you're, you're, not, you're not dealing with a normal human being. You're dealing with people who are exceptionally good, exceptionally talented, on their feet, on their toes all the time and, and just know stuff that normal human beings don't know. So to me, if you're a nurse and you're, you're scared, that's, you got to use that fear. You have to use that fear to your advantage and go. What does it look like for you? If there's a self-limiting belief, cause you said you got to kind of analyze that. So what does that look like for you? Just out of curiosity. So any self-limiting belief I have, like if, if, I'm afraid to make a phone call or if I'm thinking that I'm not going to be able to close a big deal or whatever, I just charge into it. It's, it's, you know, I look at it as running towards a burning building. I've, I've got to just do it. I have to just take action and go for it because otherwise I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stew and, and, and that fear is just going to build up. But I don't know how many times it's been said or in how many different ways it's been said, but the thing you're worried about is, is far less, once you're on the other side of it, you realize that it's far less worrisome than it, than it should have been. And, and I just, I, I always look to that. I always say, look, once I get to the other side of this, I'm going to wonder why I worried about it as much as I did. So you just got to run into the building. And, and that's what I'm saying about nurses. That's what amazes me. I mean, you guys work in emergency rooms, you guys work in operating rooms, you guys work under the most stressful environments ever. And to have anything stand in the way of you doing what you know is going to work would blow my mind. I mean, cause you guys do things. That That's so encouraging. Do. That's so encouraging. Cause it's so true. What you just said, like yeah. you just jump into the burning fire and you go and we do that all, all the time anyways, as nurses. So yeah. like, what's the big deal? Right. <laughs> just jump. I love that. Yeah. There's like That's two awesome. kinds of people. One who in a, an emergency kind of situation, I, I, I don't know if it's, you know, not everybody goes into trauma or into an OR or into an ICU. I mean, that, that was kind of what we did, but I knew I was different because most people would see blood or, you know, even growing up, see something traumatic whenever and am instantly go into when in danger, when in doubt, run in circle, scream and shout, you know, it's either <laughs> deer in the headlights or, you know, paralyzed kind of thing. I always was like, you know, tunnel vision. Like I was always best I'm actually not good in normal life. I'm really good in that kind of situation. Yeah. Like I felt the most normal in that kind of situation. So that's, a, I mean, that's such a great point though. Like if you can do that, like if you can do what you do as a job for someone else every day, then making the leap to do it for yourself, you've already proven that you can, you can do that. Yeah. And you don't even have to be like Karen, because I went into the operating room thinking, this is great. I got a bunch of people around me. So if the shit hits the fan, I'm I, I'm hooked up here. It's not just <laughs> going to be me. It, I would have been a little bit more like, ah, but I still did it, right? Like, I still jumped into the fire, even though it terrified me if there was a code in the OR. Like, I, I didn't like that, and I didn't like the thought of it, but I did it. So I think, you know, there are nurses like Karen who just center in and they're totally like, you know, they're, they're on point in an emergency. There are nurses like me who are like, God, I got the team there, but still <laughs> you do it anyways. Cause you know, it's fright. It can be frightening, but you just jump. Yeah. So I think, you know, it, there's all kinds out there in terms of the, we do it because we're nurses. This is totally a squirrel moment, but it's something that just came to me and went me in my head almost exposed. You Alan see the entrepreneurial potential it sounds like and most everyone you meet i do 
and yet you help them to find jobs. Unless they tell me to help them start their own business. Yeah. Oh yeah. So has yeah. that happened? Like somebody comes to you and they're looking for, oh, yeah. you're, you're, you're going to help them place them in an IT position and for somebody else. And what does that, what does that look and sound like? When. Yeah. What if they say, I want to start a business. Yeah. I mean, then, then I'll advise them to do that instead. I'll, I'll ideate with them. I'll sit down and talk to them. Like how long have you been thinking about it? I had, I had lunch with a guy last week who I've known for 16 years. And he told me the other day, he's like, Alan, you know, I almost started my own business. I'm like, Ooh, tell me more. (laughs) He's like, yeah, when I was, you know, before I started on this path, I built this app for my accountant, my accountant, like used it. He loved it. His clients loved it. And then we were thinking about scaling it. We were thinking about selling it to other CPAs. And I'm like, why didn't you do that? He goes, I just, I don't have a marketing band. I don't have a salesperson. I'm like, well, why didn't you find one? Why didn't you find that person or learn how to do it yourself? He's like, ah, it's just not my, just wasn't my passion. I'm like, are you going to start your, are you going to start another business now? Like, is that why we're sitting here having lunch? Cause you want to start <laughs> another business. Uh, and the, you know, the whole, the whole time I was thinking that that's, you know, I would be so excited for him if he did that, but he's like, no, nah, I think I just want to, he wanted to go. So this is another thing that I love to do with people is he had been promoted and he and I talked probably six, seven years ago about the fact that he was a hands-on developer. So he was writing code, he was writing applications, you know, designing and architecting and, and building solutions. And they wanted to make him a manager. And now he's a director. And as a director, he's helping like with seating charts and hey, when we move to the new building, where should we put this and this? And he's like, I hate this. I this is not this is not what I do. I want to start building stuff again. So we talked about the fact that he's a director right now. He's got a manager and then he's got his team and he wants to move down to the team. He wants to be like back on a keyboard, writing code, not worrying about seating charts. So I Hmm. said, look, do you have a manager right now that could take your spot? And he said, I do. I said, okay, well, here's what I would do if I were you. I go, because could I find you a job somewhere else doing what you want to do? Yes, but you love where you are. So what if you have a conversation with your boss and say you're going to groom that person below you to take your role and then you're just going to step down and take her role? He's like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> so and then I said, well, and then what you can do is you can groom the next person who's going to move up from the development team to move up and then you you step down. And I'm like, then you're not like and I go, the cool the cool part about this is that you're, you're giving so much credibility to that organization because you're showing the entire company that you can make these moves within this company. You didn't have to go elsewhere to, mm-hmm. to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. You could stay right here and pull that off. I go, that to me is like, they're going to advertise the hell out of you internally and say, what kind of marketing campaign is this for retention of employees? Holy cow. Yeah. I've never heard anybody do that before. I would love it if if he pulls that off. I mean, I just I would love it because I just think it's so hugely beneficial to the company if they can then advertise that and say, how many other companies in town would allow this to happen? Is that like an Alan Plunkett idea or is that something that That's actually happens in organizations? Because if it's an Alan Plunkett idea, like I think you might have something there. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine in hospitals? No, I came home and I was, so that's, that's the thing. I mean, I was so energized after that conversation. I don't even think he knows how hopped up I was after that conversation, but I'm like, dude, this is like, this is so great. You got to keep me posted on how this goes. But I came home and I told my wife, I'm like, I just had one of the most amazing conversations ever. And I told her the whole idea and I'm just like, man, I just, I love what I do for a living. I think that's the other thing. I mean, you guys love what you do for a living, obviously, but I just love what I do for a living. And there's no reason not to. Well, I, I want to go back to that idea you had about, you know, that model inside an organization, because, you know, you've talked about surrounding yourself with people that are really going to support you and, you know, the whole fear factor and just jumping and, but you got me thinking like, okay, well, what if a nurse wants to stay in the hospital, but wants to move up or down? Because I'm telling you, there's plenty of them in the, 
you know, management and who are like, oh my gosh, if I just could go back to the bedside. Yeah. But they're not going to. So, I mean, I think that's a really compelling idea for them as well. Like, you know, because you're right. Like, what a great model for inside an organization. And, you know, Karen and I, our mission in Renegade is really, you know, part of it is to change healthcare. So, yeah, we want to encourage nurses to be entrepreneurs, but we also want to encourage nurses to do what they love to, you know, and so to me, that's like, oh, well, that's another way that we could start to change healthcare on the inside. Yeah. Don't you think? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, again, it gets back to those uncomfortable conversations. Looking for a new job is very, very hard. It's nerve wracking. It's time consuming. It's not enjoyable for a lot of people. It's just not, it's not fun. So if you are in a company right now or in an organization right now that you actually like, but you're in the wrong job, and yet you can see the job that you really want to have inside that company, have the hard conversation. And it doesn't have to be a, I'm going to leave unless sort of conversation. And a lot right. of people interpret it that way. And I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. It can be, I've, I've, tr I've been doing this for two years. And as much as I thought I would like it, I really would prefer to do that. So I don't know if that position exists today. If you can create that position today, I'm patient. I don't know how long I can wait, but I, I want to be patient because I want to work here. I'm mm -hmm. not looking for another job. I'm not advertising that I'm out there or you know trying to find something new. But do you think that I might be able to move? And that's an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people, but how much less comfortable is it to resign? I mean, that also sucks, yeah. you know, it's, totally. you know, I, and, and interviewing for a new job. I mean, that sucks too. You're interviewing with somebody that you've never met. You don't know, you don't know the company, you don't know the organization. So if you can do it within the company that you work for, I just think, man, I mean, and then they're, you know, on LinkedIn these days, they're talking about the mass exodus is coming. Like there's just going to be this exodus of people like at all these companies just bailing out doesn't have to happen. It just doesn't Why? have to happen. Because I think companies, I mean, rewiring companies, again, I think there's an opportunity right now for companies to say, okay, COVID, the pandemic, the new social norm, everything that's going on right now has changed everything, literally everything in our world. So we need to, as a company, understand what that means for us and how we now are going to serve our people. So companies that are saying we're returning to the office, fine. I'm cool with that. But if there's a good amount of employees that are like, I don't want to return to the office. I want to, I want to work from home. If their job can permit them to do that, but your mind can't get around <laughs> the fact that you're going to have some people in the office and some people not in the office, mm -hmm. you got to grow up. You got to grow up. I mean, it, your company will not ever be what it was before. So get over the fact that you think it might ever be what it was before. It won't. Everything's changed. So I think the mass exodus doesn't have to happen because I think companies can be a little bit more flexible. I think employees can certainly be more flexible as well. Mm -hmm. I'm not putting this all in the company. I mean, if, if employees are saying, hell no, I'm never going back to an office because I love, you know, going for a walk at 10 and 11 and 12, uh, you might not be the world's best employee. So maybe you should go work elsewhere anyway, and I'm not going to lose a whole lot if you do leave. But I, I just think I just think there's so much more flexibility that can be offered than what we've seen so far. What I've personally seen so far, you know, I think there's still this theory that we're going to return to a normal, you know, an old normal, and I, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, to your point, a savvy nurse then would be the time would be right now to either make up their dream role within an organization, right? Because things are changing anyways, and they're, you're going to see a lot of, you know, the companies that are able to kind of flex and, you know, wrap their heads around what it could look like differently. Like for nurses, you know, making up your own role in an organization because you have a good idea, but you don't want to leave or jumping and starting your own business. But I, I think that's a really good point because I do think that there are plenty of nurses that don't want to leave their organizations that like working in an institution, but they don't like 
where they are or the role they're in. And it sounds like the time is perfectly ripe for that. Oh, it's all, yeah. The timing is awesome right now Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. It's great timing right now. Yeah. It's like loosened up the, you know, trying to change the healthcare system or anything about the structure of these Mm -hmm. hospitals and the systems and they're all in place is like trying to push a wagon with square wheels through tar uphill. Yeah. You know, but right now the tar is loose. There's more fertile ground. It's not as like you might be going uphill, but the the ground is more solid for for change, you know, or more ripe ripe for change. Yeah. What a, what a cool conversation. Cause I wasn't expecting kind of to see that part of it, like how nurses could stay in their own organizations and change. Um, yeah, my, that was my favorite was part of this. I'm seeing yeah. rewiring all over the place from you, mm-hmm. Alan. No, it's, I, I do it just because I love doing it. I don't do yeah. it as a, a monetary thing. Um, but yeah, there's, there's been plenty, plenty, plenty of people that, um, yeah, you know, I've had those kinds of conversations with and just love them. That's so obvious how much you like love people. And I think that's probably a huge part of your success is because you're like Karen and myself curious, but I can tell like people just like rev you up, right? Yeah. These kinds I of conversations rev me up. I mean, I just, I love talking this stuff for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think it's super cool. So if after this podcast, how do people get a hold of you? <laughs> oh, it's easy. Yeah, my, I, I mean, I'll give you my phone number. It's uh, 602-999-1711. Is that real? Yeah, that's real. And then it's alan at phoenixstaff.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. I'm annoyingly active on LinkedIn. Um, okay. LinkedIn. I'm all over the place. There's so much encouragement in this I podcast. dropped the F-bomb. You guys didn't uh, drop any F-bombs. I, I said shit like five times, so. Yeah. I said shit. I also said chisel. Because I'm the only one that dropped one, and you guys said you were going to drop them. So you got. I know, Karen. You always say the F word. What happened? Fuck you. I do not. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a fucking wrap. You guys, that's a wrap. What a great podcast! If you're a nurse, head over to www.rnegade.pro. Follow the prompts, do the activity, fill out the evaluation for the podcast that you just listened to, and get a CE. Could we just make CE by podcast the norm? Please. Bye.